it sounded like a cassette tape that you've played, you know, a thousand times yeah. and then like accidentally had in your pocket of your pants when they go in the wash. Hey, welcome. You're listening to My Teeth Need Attention. I'm Joe, your host. This week I have a interview, kind of short. Well, it's an hour long. It's shorter than the past ones. With uh, Otto Hauser. Um, Otto is an old friend of mine. Grew up in Rochester. I met him at some point, uh, late 90s, I think. Uh, so the interview, we talk about his childhood, how he got into music through school and college years, then um, his move back to Rochester for a little while, and then his jaunts in Philly and New York, and now in the uh, Hudson Valley. Talk about some of the projects he's involved with, including Vetiver and Esper's Curry Truck Company, um, his recent work. We, we just barely touch on um, with Cass McCombs. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, I want to thank uh, Otto for doing this. It was great. He was uh, he happened to be in town when we were talking about doing it, so it was good to see him in person. So we did the uh, interview in my garage, and you can hear the birds chirping if you listen close enough in the background. So that was kind of nice. So uh, let's get right to the interview. Uh, after the interview, we're going to play a few songs from projects he's been involved in, including Vetiver, Espers, and Curry Truck. And then I'm going to play a collection of records that kind of we reference in the interview um bands we kind of talk about some local bands we talk about um so i hope you enjoy it and uh, i'll see you on the other side of the interview i want to welcome uh otto hauser to the podcast uh, i've known otto for for a long time, uh, I don't know when we met. Probably early two thousands or late nineties. Late nineties, probably I would, late nineties. Uh, Otto grew up here in Rochester area. Uh, we met um, through probably band shows, maybe record store stuff through some other friends. Um, so uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I guess start from there. Uh, so you grew up in Rochester. Kind of talk about like how you grew up and how you got into. Did you start playing music in high school or middle school or whatever? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I mostly grew up in Pittsburgh and graduated from high school um, from Menden. And my first memories of of music are my mom playing piano and and singing songs at the piano, just sort of. 70s folky soft rock like Joni Joni Mitchell tunes and um you know softer rock hits like MacArthur Park I remember that being in heavy <laughs> heavy rotation and then when I was 2 or 3 years old for a couple years I at the local rec center I took a a music program that I think it's called Orf Schoolwork but it's this pedagogy for young children that was developed by the composer Carl Orff. Um, and I had, I had a really great experience with that. And it's, it's an interesting pedagogy. It's very uh, percussion heavy. And um, if I'm re- remembering correctly, the, the cells of notes, it's all sort of based off of 
these pentatonic scales. So you can, co you know, combine all these different cells and the, the harmonies work. They don't sound atonal, mm -hmm. but you get all these cool sus chords. And, and you were doing this when you were two or three? Yeah. Do you I, remember? I, I mean, do you remember? I remember, um, the I remember taking the class. I have memories yeah. of the class. Wow. But, um, and of course, I didn't understand what was going on. And yeah. I, I could be wrong ab about that about how the <laughs> how the you know mini marimbas and xylophones they have the the pitch classes of those but mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that's how it's set up and uh, and you know you can you learn by rote and there are uh, you know different patterns you learn but there's also an emphasis on improvisation and yeah looking back I I think all all of those elements. Uh, really, really had a strong impact on me and how I think about music from from a very young age. Yeah, but <clears throat> and then uh, a few years later, when I was five or six, um, I I started taking piano lessons because um, I wanted to learn how to how to play. So I had a teacher, Kathleen Ubel, who who I studied with until I was twelve or thirteen. Um, and then in the public school at the time, at, at fourth grade, you could choose a band or mm -hmm. orchestra instrument. And uh, yeah, I wound up wound up choosing percussion because of it, it was of interest to me. And after one year, the the school teacher had g g suggested that I. I studied privately because I had sort of reached her level of mm -hmm. of being able to to teach me. So I started studying with John McNeil, who's um, uh, plays in the the Philharmonic here and is a, a really great teacher. And uh, yeah, studied with him, and then. Uh, you know, started playing drum set around 13, 12, 13. He, he was a big person on having me get my hands together, um, you know, just just working on uh, snare drum and, and mallet right. uh, stuff un until I had my hands together and then we could then start learning drum set, like yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And then a little, little older in high school um, when... I started getting into jazz. I studied with Rich Thompson for a little bit, but um, it we I it wasn't a great fit. Um, and no, no, he's a great teacher, and I not putting that on him. I'm mm -hmm. sure it was me being a you know stupid, <laughs> you know, early teen, fourteen year old or whatever. Yeah. And uh, but what, anyways, wasn't a good fit, and then. Uh, spent the rest of my time in high school studying drum set with with Steve Curry, who I, um, yeah, someone had had recommended him to me, and uh, and I I feel like studying with Steve, I really blossomed on on drum set. We just really really clicked. Yeah. What were you focusing on at that? Like, were you focusing on jazz at that point with him on drum no? set? Yeah. Yeah, mostly, and you know some. You know, j broad things that some funk. Um, you know, we I f 
feel like we worked and with Rich also worked out a Dave Garibaldi who who is the drummer in Tower of Power um, has written a couple great books but I, I think it's his first one it's called Future Sounds mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's uh, really has a lot of really great concepts in it and uh, I, I you know work, worked out a things like that and then uh, yeah uh, jazz you know uh, other sort you know sort of drum set ified latiny south american rhythms mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that okay yeah and then uh so that's all through high school and stuff and then you went yeah. to college yeah oh um, and i also oh. have to give give a shout out to uh uh kristen shiner mcguire who i think my last two years of high school i focused on mallets with her she mm. she's um great uh amazing mallet player and great drum set player vocalist um and so i yeah i focused once i knew that i was going had made a decision to study music in after high school i mm-hmm. felt like my mallets i really needed to get those and mallets is, you're playing like what marimba mostly and, okay. yeah um uh but yeah marimba vibraphone xylophone mm-hmm. um and yeah Cri- Kristen uh teaches music at Nazareth and is is amazing yeah so that that's high school yeah (laughs) or up through high school (laughs) just a little musical training (laughs) a little bit um so where did you go to college University of Toronto oh right yeah um yeah there um he's retired now but uh Russell Hartenberger who's a member of uh this great percussion ensemble called Nexus and, um, and also, uh, played with Steve Reich for, um, I, I think still does, but on, on all those early Deutsche Gramophone recordings, that's Russell p- playing wow. in Steve's okay. band. Yeah. And, uh, I was a big fan of, of Nexus, Bill Kahn, who used to, or maybe still is in the RPO, but was principal percussionist in the RPO as a member. Um, you know, a, a couple of the guys that were in it at the time, like uh, Robin Engelman, who who I also led the percussion ensemble at U of T. Um, he he's passed on, but um, he's great. He was more of like a traditional guy. I I I learned a lot of great lessons from him, even though we didn't study one on one. But yeah, just. Uh, you know, John Wire, what, what, he's passed on also, but he he was in that ensemble at the same time. And then Bob Becker. But it was great. All those guys were, even though they weren't all on faculty, they were always hanging around. And, um, and most of them were all, had PhDs in ethnomusicology, focusing on a lot of West African drumming. And they also kept all of their instruments in at, the university so had access to crazy amount of instruments and they they had great teachers uh uh for teaching uh west african drumming from ghana and yeah and it it was awesome is that did you know about that before like is that what um directed you to university of toronto I, i wanted well i wanted to study with russell okay and so you knew that in high school, then. Yeah, like exactly. About him and stuff. Yeah, okay. because they they because of the connection with with Bill at the RPO. Okay. They would they would perform in Rochester. <laughs> I feel like at least once a year. 
hmm. you know. Um, uh, down at Eastman, you think? Yeah, or, or at yeah. Kilburn. Uh, yeah, you right. know, I've, um, yeah. So I, yeah, by the time I graduated high school, I'd, I'd seen them, you know, half a dozen times probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I went there for three years and then, um, uh, I, I don't, well, yeah, I, I have OCD and depression, which I take medicine for mm-hmm. to, you know, be able to function. But at that time it, uh, it was sort of new and got really out of control. And basically my third year there, um, yeah, I just fell into a heavy depression and basically stopped going to classes oh, <laughs> and man. flunked out. Yeah. It was, it was pretty rough in, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old and don't, you know, it don't realize that, Oh, you know, you can talk to someone about this right, and, right, right. and get medicine that helps stabilize you and, you know, go to therapy to help with stuff. And so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, weird and embarrassing at the time because, you know, I was having a really good time and learning stuff and then I didn't know what to do. So anyways, after in back in 98, because I started there in 95 moved, I flunked out and, Mm -hmm. uh, because of that, um, and moved back here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, different time, right? Like, (laughs) oh yeah. As far as like, you know, nowadays I think kids know, everyone's more o- way more open oh yeah about it. for sure Something. yeah well and it, it's also you know there's um you know th- there's certainly uh, maybe not so much around people that you and i hang out with but o- overall in the country there there's like you know a stigma about is, me- yeah, mental illness right. you know yeah. um which is really unfortunate mm-hmm. um but um yeah, it's for for a long time I was really like I wouldn't talk about that at all because mm-hmm. I felt like um it reflected badly on on myself which is really messed up. Right. You know, it's it's so you wouldn't be like oh, I have you know whatever like pneumonia I'm not yeah. going to talk about it because <laughs> it reflects badly on you me. You did something wrong. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um so yeah, um, so that that's that, and yeah, yeah. that's how I wound up back in Rochester yeah. in '98. So you come back here, and and what do you start doing? This is probably around the time we meet. Then probably right? yeah, uh, you know I, so I needed, I just needed a job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I started. I I got a, a I went to get something framed at at like a frame shop in Pittsburgh Plaza and they were hiring and I started, started working there, um, for, for a few years and then, um, and then got hired at the bop shop where, okay. where I worked for un, until I, uh, moved away, uh, in Oh four. Right. Um, yeah. For those of you who listened to the Daryl Norson interview, um, Daryl met, you i think when you were working at the bop shop because he he and he mentions that he'd go into the bop shop and you'd start saying you'd start handing him records like you got to check this out you got to check this out yeah well i you know i'm i'm sure in in back adam also because i would go into the cd exchange yeah, yeah. um and and daryl would always point stuff out to me and yeah, you we know never it's like, met when he was in town 
Really? Yeah. Oh, it, wow. It's the weirdest thing. For the longest time, I always thought he went to RET after me, and that's why we never crossed paths. And then he moved away, and I ended up meeting him online uh, through, I don't know what, just mutual friends, I guess, when he was in Massachusetts at that point. Um, and then I just, yeah, when we interviewed, I'm like, oh, I didn't know you grew up here, and you went to school in Fredonia. Um, yeah, I somehow associated him with a few of the people I knew at RET who were you know, like five, six years sure. younger than me, but it makes sense with yeah. the design thing, also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he talked about going into the bop shop and getting turned on to a lot of stuff. So cool. Yeah, yeah it, it was. I, I had a great time working there, and I have a great time going there still. <laughs> you know. So, um, like around that time, what kind of? Um, I mean, you were in weird music already, you know? I mean, you were you were in tune with modern composers and things like that. Were you also in tune with, like, Krautrock or, like... Oh. You know um, what I mean? Like, yeah, I, 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 think... I meet kids at Eastman School, and, you know, I would have things in common with them when it comes to, like, modern composer. And sure. they'd be like, wow, you know who Zanakis is, you know? Because yeah. they think of that as more academic and not, you know, noise guys wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they wouldn't know other stuff that I think is pretty cursory to, you know. Yeah. So I wouldn't, um, at that time, I wouldn't have been aware of bands like Can or Faust or okay. Noi. Um, I would have, that stuff I would have learned about um, when I was working for Tom at the Bop Shop. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was... I was listening to a lot of different kinds of music at that point, but I was also a little, I don't know if I knew it, but I think I was feeling a little burned out on classical and jazz because it had just been so intense with, with that for, you know, even back into high school. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was just sort of checking out shows and there were there were two shows that that had a big impression on me one was um one was at milestones at the after they had moved further down on on mm-hmm. east ave mm-hmm. it must have been shortly after they they moved um and it was it was a rockabilly show and there it was and i'd never really heard that kind of music before oh, wow. and I think it was the Raging Teens and Rocky Velvet. I don't remember where the Raging Teens were from, but Rocky Velvet was was from Albany, Troy area. Um, and and there was probably maybe like the Frantic Flat Tops or someone sure. o- opened up the show. Um, I, I don't remember who the, the local was. But, um, but I was like, wow, this is great. And I, I started checking that music out. and um, And then sort of wound up playing with some rockabilly and honky tonk bands for for a few years sort of off and on around that time um and at the and also around that time i went to one of it was maybe garage pop three and i can't remember where it was but um it was a i feel like it was a halloween one show and there were some out of town bands there also um and i'm blanking on the name but the the group that um probably groups that uh 
Parkins knew, you mm-hmm, know, that, it, mm-hmm. that he had, had come up. Um, but one was, one was a group with uh, Michael Azarad, who's a really great writer, um, who, who wrote the um, uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life book and the oh, yeah. Nirvana biography. He was, Michael was whatever, I, man, I feel, I'm sorry, Michael, I can't remember the <laughs> name of your band right now. But uh, he played and maybe, I don't know as if Oneida played, but maybe a group that some of the oh, sure. members of Oneida were in played also. And um, yeah, it was that. I, and then I was like, "Wow, there's all this great like punk weird rock." I'm I'm sure Nod played. Um, you know, it, it was just a really cool show. And yeah, it I was, can't even remember those. I mean, I remember the garage pop shows going on, and I'm sure I was at them, but I don't. I can't place who played sure. one who played another one you know yeah and um, and i can't usually even, at the bug jar i think but it right? wasn't but, it know, wasn't a bug jar, jar. Sh- yeah i yeah so and then i you know wanted to get in involved in that scene also so i was playing like kind of punk rock also which i had never was just not something i really listened to at all before just like the rockabilly and, and honky tonk yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. you know that that was all new sort of like very early 20s um, checking that stuff out and, and then, yeah. And then checking out the stuff on carbon records and, you know, starting to, to explore playing improvised music for like in a different context. than I'd been like a, you know, a context with less restraints than I had been doing it before yeah. through, um, you know, some of the modern classical stuff and jazz. Yeah, how did you find that transition going from that from pretty structured things to improv? Like I've I've had friends at Eastman who I've tried to improv with and they were a nervous wreck. Right. <laughs> trying to do it. You know, and, and me I'm like whatever, just start playing and sure. um Yeah, um I I think over over time I've I think as I've, as I've gotten older, I've I've just you know learn to listen more and also learn to you know set restraints for for myself because in in you know one of the great things about music is that there's so many different kinds and there're no set rules so for me personally when when I'm improvising in a fully free context I still like to set parameters that I'm going to stay within because okay. for me playing I don't um I don't love uh, completely playing free without uh, a focus on something. Sure. Um, and beyond that, it's just finding people that that you can mesh well with because you you can't expect to play in that way great with everyone. Right. Right. You know. I mean, it's. I'm sure we've heard. You know, masters in that style of of music play playing with another master and it's not really clicking for some reason. (laughs) You're like, wow, that's, that's so wild. And then you, you hear them play with, with another person on the same instrument and they haven't changed how they're playing, but it sounds amazing. You know? Yeah. We, um, uh, you met Will Veter probably before, um, the Entente Cordiale stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I was, I was playing keyboards and second guitar in in Hinkley. You were in Hinkley at that yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
That's why I was trying to remember the timing of all that, and I was pretty sure you were in Hinkley at this. So Hinkley is a local group um, run by Will Veter, who uh, was Mueller. in. Yeah, he was in Mueller, which was a you know indie rock, uh, classic indie rock band back in the '90s. Um, and I met those guys uh, right when they were finishing school, college uh, locally. And then uh, Mueller was around for a long time, and then uh, split up. Will starts Hinkley as kind of a recording project with Sean Leahy only. Um, and then at some point, Will decided he wanted to start trying to play and get a band together. And Sean's like, I don't want to do that. So um, you were in it right off the bat? As, <clears throat> as far as I yeah. know. And I I'm, I mean, geez, that was... But you, you know, know it's yeah, going, you going on 20 drums, years so ago. No, uh, uh, Chuck Laporte was. Yeah, okay. Who, who is am- amazing. And I, I learned so much from him mm-hmm. just by playing in a band with him yeah yeah um and keith was in the band and oh, right. i and on bass and i i think jonah all also from vision state yeah was he, was, was he in the, i mean he was in hinkley for a while yeah 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 so i think that off the batter i think that i think that was the the group yeah, yeah, right the there group, the group has grown and shrunk multiple times yeah um yeah, so then we, me and you and Will started uh, this group called Entente Cordiale, and, and that's kind of a the when you talk about parameters, we sort of were like, this is going to be all string-based. It was going to be all guitar-based. Yeah, yeah. And we did that for a while, and then we, I think we did a show once, or a, a practice once, where we started jamming on drums because there was kits in our, yeah, yeah, in yeah. our space, uh, and that's when it kind of grew a little bit more. Um, but I kind of like that. I do like that... Um, parameter setting sometimes when it comes to improv um and it it could be as simple as that just instrumentation um and i have very limited skills on most of the instruments i play so um yeah so, so then then it the kind of parameters sort of set themselves yeah, yeah and and you know i mean there is something to be said about talking with other people you're improvising with beforehand uh, about specifically what what you want parameters to be but sure. <clears throat> uh but I, when I was mentioning, I was just talking from a from a personal place. I'll, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Eric Hardeman, who I interviewed um, in the last couple episodes, uh, which you said you probably came across at some time in Albany. Um, he talked about that, like in Burnt Hills, they don't they don't talk at all beforehand. Uh, they don't even say quiet or loud, fast or slow. You know, um, and I've been in various groups that kind of do that like sometimes pango will, will will just convey some tone at the beginning like start out creepy and that's it or something mm-hmm. or you know um or just try not to get too loud too quickly um and that's really it but i, I was having a conversation with joe mcphee once who mm-hmm. who shared this with 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 me and i was asking him about uh you know how to how he pr- prepares with his band uh b- before doing a hit somewhere and because they're you know, in you know pro- probably one of his groups like Trio X with with Jay Jay Rosen and Dominic Duvall who's un- unfortunately passed um a lot of a lot of free free playing in that group although they would they play heads too Mm -hmm. um and i asked joe what you know if they talked about how what 
paths the music was going to go on uh, b- before a show. And and J- Joe said something along the lines of, well, we, we talk, but we never talk about the music because I can get a sense of where the people I'm going to be playing music with are at just from a conversation, even if it's talking about the weather hmm. or the, the trip we just made to to get to the venue Mm -hmm. you know and that 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 really stuck with me you know he just gets a sense of their mood kind of yeah yeah. because if i i think that really translates over in into improv i mean how can it not yeah yeah you know yeah Yeah, i've uh yeah i've gone to shows and show up at a show and i'm pissed <laughs> yeah and of, it affects your you know playing. or stressed because yeah. of timing and i'm rushing or you know what i mean and uh yeah and it, i'm sure it does yeah yeah i try to make it not but i'm sure it does uh so all right so you're in rochester at this point this is the 90s and in early, in early two, aughts, yeah. 2000s right um working at the record store yeah. and playing in multiple groups right yeah i was in i my first real touring experience started around then also i was playing with okay. annika bentley yeah um who's a, a really great songwriter singer pianist guitarist um and I, I you know i we toured toured around at least like the eastern half the country for for you know four years or or so yeah how uh i i think i was unaware that you guys were going on a road uh as much as you were like how long like what kind of tours were you doing like a week long kind of thing two weeks or it would yeah i i feel it it would de- depend we um and here i don't know if this still exists but just a a tip for all groups that are starting to tour right now um annika had realized that you know if you're if you're an unsigned band and you're trying to get First of all, it's difficult, and you don't have like a a legit booking agent at at a, a you know notable agency. Yeah, it's really difficult to get. You know, if if you're if you want to play at the Empty Bottle in Chicago, you're not going to get a gig there. Yeah, it yeah. would be exceedingly difficult. Um, uh, without those other things in place. So, um, what Annika had discovered was that there are conferences that are held throughout the year for the um for college activity associations and they have money and they want music and and other stuff so what what her business model was was she you know you would pay for a, a table and sometimes get a performance slot at one of these you know markets where mm-hmm. where you'd be with like magicians and comedians and other musicians and all the stuff just, that yeah, when you're in college talent yeah. yeah yeah and you'd have the booth and you know promo stuff to give away you talk with you know these 20 year olds who are in charge of planning the activities for their, yeah, yeah, their yeah. college and so we we would you know go to wisconsin and play 10 colleges in Wisconsin over, over a two week period or something, you know, or that, that might be a a little much, but that, that was sort of the vibe. And then on off days, we would sort of fill in with, with clubs where we could get gigs, which was, which was a lot harder and and a lot worse pay because you're, if you can get a show, you're playing for, you know, a 
the door or like a very low guarantee. Right. Yeah, and you have to deal with the guy maybe paying you at the end of the night. Whereas yeah, exactly. the college they're cutting a check before yeah, exactly. they're asking for your social security number. Exactly. You know, it's yeah. totally legit and on the books and yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that yeah, that's so that awesome. that that was how how that started. But we would I we would play in, in the Midwest a lot because mm-hmm. we would we would do the the sort of Midwest uh uh activities association market and we would we would also I I remember doing playing a few colleges down in West Virginia, which was really really wild in hmm. Pennsylvania also like that Ohio, that that sort of yeah, yeah. market also. Um yeah. So and that that was that was my first re- experience with, you know, not necessarily j- just playing out of town, but because I had done that, but but where you're, you know, not where you're on tour, yeah, actually yeah, on tour, yeah, yeah. You know, not not a not just like a, right, a just weekend where a you're weekend. playing Boston and New sure. York, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Uh, so you're here in Rochester and you're doing that, and then at some point you moved to Philly. Yeah, for a, for a hot second, and I was there for. I don't know, six or nine months. Oh, and that's it. Yeah, oh, yeah, and then and then moved over to to New York. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because um, when you moved to Philly, uh, was Greg down in Philly at that point? Yeah. So that that came about. Um, Greg Weeks, um, who grew up, he grew up here. He grew too, up, right? yeah, and, and went to graduate from Brighton. Yeah. Okay. Um, although he's, you know, just you know, he's maybe like four. Or five or five or six years older than me. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but just just old enough that you know we wouldn't have known each other. It you know growing up on the right. you know, um, but uh, and he lived. I think he'd been living down in New York for for a number of years and was working in recording studios and making music under his own name, and um. He, I for I, you know, I don't know the exact circumstances, but he wound up, um, up here around two thousand or so, mm-hmm. and uh, moved back up here. And I met him. I was working at the Bop Shop, and Annika came in, and she said, "I was just at Valoria, which uh, at the Village Gate was a really great uh, vintage clothing vintage clothing store oh, yeah, yeah. that was there." Um, she was like, I was just in Valoria and I met this musician, Greg, who seems really cool. And I told him to come down here. You should meet him. And that that's how I met Greg. And we started talking about music. And at that point, I was, you know, checking out Kraut Rock and Psych Rock. And, mm-hmm. and I was going through a big, like, British folk rock phase at that time. Um, and, yeah, just talking with Greg, it was like, oh, wow, this is great. And I start, started playing uh a, a little bit with him for his solo music mm-hmm. and then um he had played a house show a loft show in um in Northern Liberties which, which at that time in Philadelphia was like very different than it is now but mm-hmm. um uh Brooke Seatonson's w- was doing these house shows at her loft where she'd mostly have like solo performers like greg played there i that's how i sort of how i first heard about devendra banhart how i first heard about entrance mm-hmm. kurtuck county all of these 
sort of guitar-based um, psyche, folky artists that were were happening around that time. Like Brooke would, I don't, she's so tuned into stuff, but she would find out about all these bands before you know when they just had like yeah, yeah. demos out and and have them play at her her loft. Um, but Greg played there because um, Brooke he knew Brooke and and uh, another person on the show was Meg Baird uh, playing solo and and after that they talked about forming forming a group the three of them and that's how the band Espers came came together okay and after after they formed Greg was like you got he moved down to Philadelphia and was like you gotta you gotta move down to Philadelphia you gotta move down mm-hmm. and it's maybe like. O two or O three, and I was just like nah. And then I started playing in Espers and was like crazy thing. I was living in Rochester and driving down like every couple weeks to Philadelphia, which is maybe like a five or six hour drive yeah, to least, just like yeah. hang out and and play music and and do do shows. And we started touring uh, around that time. And that, then eventually I was just like, this is insane, right. and I <clears throat> moved down there. Okay. Yeah. And but you, yeah, you only spent uh, less than a year there. Yeah, it was it was a situation where um, uh, we the uh, the the house that, that I was living in sold, mm-hmm. and so I I had to get a new apartment, and I was dating someone in New York at that point already, and and was you know sort of you know much shorter drive, but was yeah. driving <clears throat> up to New York pretty much every week to to see this girl mm-hmm. I was dating and yeah so I and when I started looking for a place she was like oh you know a friend of mine ha- has a room opening up in his spot and I just moved moved there oh, okay yeah but Greg stayed in Philly Greg stayed in and Philly and Meg yeah, is still in Philly or yeah they're they're in there uh well Me- Meg lives in San Francisco okay now but um but yeah Brooks still in Philadelphia uh Greg and his family live um you know, in the area, but but west west away is sort of yeah, out okay. in the country. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what other you you seem to at the time like I was more or less keeping up with what you were doing, <laughs> but it seemed like you started playing with uh, a lot of. I mean, a lot of those groups started touring and going nuts, and that was the quote free folk. Yeah, I mean, uh, whatever. You know, that, <laughs> Such <laughs> that a label. Yeah, we that all weird it. We all hated that. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like there was that weird explosion of a label uh you know uh a, not a record label but a, you know a musical label that got thrown on to anybody who had a scruffy beard and played guitar sure <laughs> you know, and, like, and and also you, you know it it um oh man who, who again i'm just blanking on his name mm-hmm. david who who writes for the wire Oh, Keenan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. David Keenan wrote this. He wrote the big piece, the cover, right? The well, he wrote cover a, a cover or? story. He wrote a cover story for The Wire called New Weird America. Yeah. And it was it was about great bands, but it was about this Western Mass, Southern Vermont scene, like Sunburned. Yeah, yeah. And um, you, I, I forget who else is in the art. It's a really great article. It, he's a fantastic writer and mm-hmm. lovely lovely person who i haven't seen in many many years but um uh yeah david wrote that in in you know like uh, about sunburn in you, you know bands like that and no neck 
were doing a very different thing than Esper's or Devendra. Uh, And because I remember at first they were, they were calling that folky stuff. They were calling that like that. That was the first label. They started calling it new weird America. And then it was like, Oh, that's weird. And then it became freak folk. Mm -hmm. And then they were also lumping all these great bands in where I was like, man, this doesn't sound like animal collective. You know, even early Animal Collective, it's like, why would you call it? It's like, like, why do you have to label yeah. everything? And I'm not, it, it's just weird. You know, it's yeah. Um, not to trash on, on all music writers, although, you know, a lot of them, it's sort of like, what authority do you have to be writing about music? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think they're just like grasping at straws. You know, they're looking like, oh, I need to champion this new band in this genre that we just created to, you know, to have some cred, you yeah. know? There's been so many of those throughout even, you know, our lives. <laughs> sure. You know, like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Gr- grunge being the first one that I kind of knew of, you know, when I'm in college, sure. uh, you know, I get the college in 88 and that's kind of like when that term started getting thrown around by basically anything that was seattle based even though like you know lots of bands coming out of there were not quote grunge you know they weren't similar um but then like you know disparate bands that just happen to be sub pop related would get that label and it becomes i think a crutch for a writer um and i've done it (laughs) Sure, like, yeah. I've done it a billion times where I'm like, it's easy to kind of just refer to a band as, oh, it's such, you know, Krautrock. Like, yeah. oh, that's Krautrock. And it's like, there's a vast range of sounds coming from Can and Faust, right? Sure. Just those two bands alone. And, and also, I mean, if you want to dig deeper, like like Agitation Free, you know, who are who are definitely like, right. you know, like where, where, where they're you know, on a different set of vertices from either of those yeah, bands, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or uh, Guru Guru, right. you know? It's a good band. <laughs> um, uh, it's I haven't listened to it. I mean, I still, the Canon Faust, I, I still put those records on, but some of the deeper stuff I haven't listened to in a really, really long time. I started getting, uh, so Agitation Free is something that I got into just a few years ago because stuff started getting reissued. Mm-hmm. Um I think Guru Guru I got not that long ago. It's a big ass on the cover, I think. Yeah, Hinton yeah. is that album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's a, a, a an album, Can Guru, that, that Pavement aped for, um, um, what, Wowie Zowie? Is that? What, the cover? Or the well, cover? Or maybe the back cover has a, a kangaroo on it, and it says... Oh, okay. I, th- I think that's what it is. Anyways, one of the one of the pavement. So Kanguru was the two groups playing together. No, no, no. K- K- it's like K A K A N. It's just a gu- another Guru Guru album. That oh, you should oh, check oh, out. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, and it has a kangaroo on the cover with a s- bubble saying Guru Guru, and then uh, I was just saying pavement ape- aped that album yeah, cover yeah, yeah. for for one of their <clears> own. <throat> um, I, but I think it's a back album cover, maybe for a single. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Philadelphia at that time and the the neighborhoods we were living in, which was Fishtown and 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 Kensington. Um, uh, what it was, I mean, man, it was amazing to think about 
all of the neighbors and the high level of creative music they were making. Mm -hmm. You know, you had Bardo Pond, you had Jack Rose for Soxa, um, you know, all, all living there and, and making amazing Yeah, and those areas at that point were very uh, warehouse not up and coming yet i mean now well, they you were, go to Fishtown. yeah it and... wasn't really warehousey it was it was they were row houses but okay. they were it was not a cool place to live back then yeah. and it was really really cheap you know right, i right. think the the most i paid for rent when i lived there per month with utilities included was 330 dollars <laughs> a month i know right <laughs> amazing uh, and I mean, granted the house I lived with in was like infested with cockroaches, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, it was, it was cool, you know? Sure, um, sure. and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have to work a straight job. I could, because I could just, I mean, God, like, you know, yeah. you, you know, just play, play music and I could cover your rent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. Those are the days. I know, man. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, last time I went down to, I went to see the Dead Sea when it came to the U.S. Uh, I don't know, five years ago or something. Uh-huh. And they played at Johnny Brenda's. Which oh yeah, is like great Fishtown. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, for it. sure. That yeah. was that was like one of the two local local bars. Yeah. To, to get and beers. It, it had been years since I was even remotely near Fishtown. Probably, I mean, <laughs> probably to go to <laughs> um, Philly Record Exchange. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and I kind of remember what it was like. Uh, and then I went that time. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, it's like, it basically became Brooklyn. It's it's the oh, same yeah, feeling I got when like I went to Brooklyn and you know, Pango played. Basically, an abandoned building in Williamsburg mm-hmm. in, I don't know, 99, I think it was. Sure. You know, there were, like, cars on blocks, and there were dumpster fires going yeah, on yeah. and stuff. And then fast forward, you know, 10 years, and <laughs> you can't you can't touch a place there yeah. for, you know, for it, any it, amount of it, money. It's, uh, it's really uh, shocking how, how quickly when, when people that, like when developers decide to change a neighborhood, yeah. how quickly it can yeah. it can happen. Not not even in you know in these larger cities. Also, when I when I I live in in the Hudson Valley now in in New York State, and I've I've been up there since this will be twelve years coming up. Okay. Um, and what town are you? Well, I I live in a small town called High Falls, which okay. is about halfway in between. Um, Kingston and New Paltz. Oh, all right. Um, but uh, when I first left New York City, I moved up to Hudson, which in 2009 was completely different town than it is now. And that's a two, two and a half hour train ride north of New York City. Right. You know, they're like gentrifying th- those types of towns. Mm-hmm. Kingston is being like there's a lot of change happening in Kingston right now also. Yeah, yeah we were down um, there two summers ago and yeah. there was tons of construction going. And that was my first time in that town, but I got the feeling that there was a lot of building going on and I'm like this is just a weird little yeah. town, you know, in Hudson. Um yeah, it's it's uh it just it happens so so fast. Right. You know. Yeah, uh, I wonder if it'll happen more now. I mean, I know a lot of people who left New York during the pandemic, and I'm not sure if 
they'll go back. So <laughs> sure. yeah, I think, no, I, I think same, there's same a spread here. going north yeah. uh, along the Hudson just because they're like, well, let's get out of the city. And everyone's realizing they can work remote, um, you know, for the most part. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it just ha- happens so fast. Yeah. So, you, uh, all right. So uh, you moved to New York. Um, you're still playing in Espers at this time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what are, are you playing in other bands at this time? Yeah, or? it just... it. I I was just de- down to play all the time, mm-hmm. um, and I had met Ke- Kevin Barker, who who ma- makes or made. I don't know if he still is fully retired this moniker, but at the time he was making music as Currituck County. Mm-hmm. I met met Kevin, and we became fast friends, and and still are. Um, and I I started playing with him for his Kurtuck County project and just as a duo and I had met Devendra and Andy Kabik who has a band called Vetiver mm-hmm. um, around that time and they had both seen me play I think w- with Kevin and with Espers a couple times and uh so yeah, when they, it, I think it started, Vetiver was the next group that I started playing with also um, in 04 or 05, like right right after I moved down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy, yeah, just asked if if I wanted to come out to, to California to make a record with him. And we started working on his second album. And then... Uh, and then we did a tour of Europe that summer with, which was, and Devendra was in playing in Vetiver at that time. And then I made a, a record with Devendra and then I did most of the, I did the touring for, for that album cycle, but I, I, Devendra, you know, Vetiver I've played off and on with for you know, 15 years at this point. And, um, and, uh, but Devendra, I've, you know, I think I've played with him one, one time since 2006 or something like that. I I basically played with him for, for just a a year, but it was great. And, you know, I, we, we played, I, I did a sub for his normal drummer, um, like two years ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, which was the first time I had played with him in years. Okay, yeah. and then what? Uh, what? What prompted the move up the river to Hudson, and then um, where you are now? Happenstance. Um, I was living in Ditmas Park um, in Brooklyn, off the queue, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was great. I, you know, had two roommates in this beautiful Victorian house, and a lot of. Rent was super cheap there at the the time, although that's also changed. <laughs> um, a lot of musicians lived in the in the area, um, and I could practice at home, uh, so I didn't have to have a, a well, rehearsal yeah. space, um, which is always a nightmare in New York. Um, yeah, and my girlfriend at the time, her she was living in Chinatown. And her her lease was up, and 
her two room roommates didn't didn't want to renew. So and we had been together for a while. So we started talking about moving in together. And we, I mean, we probably only looked at two or three apartments. And and th- then she was like, "Would you be into moving upstate?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, sure." You know, because it, at that point also I was like I was just on the road so much. It mm-hmm. sort of sort of kind of didn't matter. Yeah. Really, you know, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't like most musicians I know that live in New York. I mean, they say you can either like you can be like a person that plays all the time in New York or or sort of be on the road. But your your phone's not going to ring so much for for shows in town. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I, I was definitely the the latter of of that, just because I was, you know, playing with two or three groups that were on on tour a lot. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, yeah, cool. And um, she was she was working at Cooper Union at the time, so we were just looking at places, and we only had one car, so we were looking at uh, you know, spots on on train lines, and and Hudson's has a mm-hmm. train station in it, and it was. You know, again, talking about cheap rent, we rented, uh, you know, first first floor of a sort of railroad style apartment, bottom floor of a Victorian house. It was awesome with like iron clawfoot bathtub and hardwood floors and two bedrooms, and it was seven seventy five a month. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just like insane uh, to think that you know splitting that with another person yeah <laughs> also you know you can yeah, yeah. Buy, buy all the records and music gear yeah. you want you know um yeah uh so that that's that was how we wound up in hudson it was just okay. sort of the the best best fit for you know the criteria we had yeah yeah, yeah. you started um I mean, you kind of were you doing like session work as well at this point? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was just a matter of like people who would see you play in the various touring groups you were in and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, around or yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly, certainly with Devendra, that that one, you know, year and a half that year that I worked with him definitely got me a, a you know, some work with yeah, yeah, and. Um, and also Espers a lot and Vetiver, all, all three of those groups. But, um, yeah, combination of that and also, um, just producers that I worked with that, you know, would be working with groups that didn't have a full band. Maybe it's just an artist or like two, two people, or they have a band that that's not, um, giving what's needed for the recording session, mm-hmm. which because it it's in my experience, it's sort of a, a different vibe from when you're playing live. Um, so yeah, that it was a combination of those those two things. You know, pr- producers hiring me for 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 stuff they were working on that that they felt I could add something to, and or artists calling me that were familiar with other records I had played on. Okay. Yeah. Are you still doing a, a, a lot of session work right now? Well, or? not the past year, yeah, but well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that, that I've been doing more of that than, than touring the, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just had my first session in about a year 
week before last and have another one coming up in a couple weeks. So, cool. yeah. Are these mostly down in New York or? Uh, no, the, the one was uh, one of my friends who I know from New York who happened to move about a 10 minute drive from where I live. Oh. Um, yeah, but he, uh, Sam Cohen, who's a, a incredible songwriter, singer, guitarist, and producer. Um, he's, I'm, you know, he had a band called the Apollo Sunshine and then a band called Yellow Birds. And then, uh, but now just releases records under his own name. And as a producer, he's worked with a, you know, done a bunch of different people. The first person that comes to mind is Kevin Morby, mm-hmm. um, who who's uh, having a bit of success right now. Um, so yeah, um, yeah that that was a session where Sam called called me up and was just like, "Can you drum on this thing for a you know a person I met the the day 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 of?" Um, but that was that was upstate, and then the thing next month is actually in Texas at Sonic Ranch, which is a really great studio. Um, maybe like a forty minute drive from El Paso. Okay. Um, but the, the, a ton of great records have been made there. So, um, yeah, that's great. Are you uh, are you in any active bands right now? Hmm. Um, got to think about it. Yeah. No, I mean, I haven't. I mean, like, is Vetiver uh, still a band? Um. Yeah. A- yeah. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I think when's it's the last sort of time you guys played. I mean, the last, well, I don't, I, I, the last time I played with Vetiver was maybe 2018, oh, okay. I want to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just cause there's, uh, you know, there's Andy whose project it, it is. And then, um, you know, at various points there's, there's been a, a steady lineup of the band, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but lately i think it's more of sort of a rotating gotcha ca- cast of, of of people um but yeah i haven't played with him recently i did i did a lot of like the i feel like the last person that i really toured a lot with was was cast mccombs oh yeah um it but again i haven't um you know we're he was asking me to do some stuff a couple of years ago and it wasn't working out, um, in like 19. Um, and then, you know, last February we were on the phone and talking about stuff happening later in the year that I was going to do. And then, you know, COVID, uh, changed all that. So, um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't been on the, really on the road for like two years. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm I mostly, you know, I'll go down and do do shows down in New York or and I played uh you know even though uh you know, it's a lot of small towns and really small cities. There's a really active music community around where where I live mm-hmm. in in the Hudson Valley. So I do do a lot of shows around there, a lot of great musicians and um yeah, we uh, Penga played at uh, Tubby's in Kingston. Oh, really? Um, two, 
Yeah, two summers ago. I wish I had known that, man. I would have shown yeah, I, up. I, yeah. I, um, that place is, uh, I think, the best bar I've ever played. Tubby's is amazing. I mean, I haven't played a lot of places, but that place is great. Tubby's and is uh, absolutely amazing. The um, I'm trying to think of the manager. He's not the owner, but the guy who manages the and runs the bar was absolute best dude. Put us... Puts you up in an apartment next door. Amazing. Uh, a clean apartment next yeah, yeah, door. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. it was awesome. And then, yeah, a bunch of friends from Albany came down to see us. Um, yeah, we played with Rob Noyes. Yeah, there- K- Kingston's really, really popping right now. Yeah. Cool. What, what, what other things do you have planned coming up? Um, I, mean, I mean, it's weird yeah, right now, um, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, stuff's just... You know, really slowly starting to trickle mm-hmm. in. Um, one one group that the the one thing that is sort of scheduled throughout the the summer um, is this really great fun group that I've been playing with for a couple years now. Um, although we we you know only play at one spot and it's like twice a week, but it's the group's called Blueprints. And it's led by Bobby Previtt, who's a really great composer and drummer, um, and who, uh, if you know anyone who um, was checking out sort of downtown jazz stuff in New York in the '80s and in '90s, would you know probably be f- familiar with his playing and mm. records. Um, so Bobby decided to put put together this this sort of meta conducted improv project called blueprints. And it just takes little snippets of all of the pieces of music that he's written over, you know, 40 plus years of composing. And a lot of it's out of context with, without a lot of instruction. Oftentimes it's just the, the notes, but without dynamic markings or tempo, hmm. or um, sometimes if there's a, a, you know, a type of feel that he wants that he feels is important to to what's written, and, and it's also almost always just like a single melody line. No, uh, sometimes there's harmony written down, but uh, but oftentimes just a melodic line. And, uh, you know, anywhere from two to eight measures long. And it's those snippets serve as a springboard for group improvisation. Hmm. Um, and but also Bobby's conducting it. So it has this Butch Morris uh, kind of vibe to it also, you know, where there he has hand signals that you know i think a lot of them are borrowed from butch and yeah it's really really fun Hmm. and you know i every performance is different of course how many people are in this it depends i you know we it's typically between i don't know 10 and 15 oh okay yeah not everyone's not playing at the same i mean sometimes everyone's playing at the same time but bobby you know he's hearing stuff in his head and and you know, bringing people in and out, and huh. yeah, it's re- it's 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 a a really fun, interesting uh, gig. 
Yeah. To, but we 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 uh, starting next month. We're we're doing it outdoors this summer. Um, but yeah, we have scheduled you know weather permitting two two shows from May through September. I think uh, two shows a month in New York or in, in up in Hudson. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were. Um, the past couple of years, it's been over in Catskill, which is across the the river. First at um, a, a place called Hilo, which um, and then the owners of that opened up a another spot called Avalon. So the the most recent ones before lockdown were were at Avalon. Okay, yeah. Are there recordings of that or? Um, are, are, like, are there any recordings by this group or no? No, no it's not just a live. It's just, it's a, live. just a live thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there. I'm sure there are some clips of stuff um, that can be f- found on on the web. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool. It's uh, it and yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I did a thing with Ian Downey. Uh, he had Jesus, twenty some people, I think. He wrote this piece that he tried to write. I don't know if you know anything. Uh, have you talked to Ian? Uh, uh, not anytime recently. I mean, we we were we messaged each other fairly fairly recently, but uh-huh. I didn't. It was it was, you know, I was I was trying to remember Neon Hunk. Yeah, I, <laughs> when they played at VSW, uh-huh. and maybe Pango opened for them. Yeah, because we I think we kind of knew those guys. They were from Milwaukee. Were they Milwaukee? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking Chicago, but yeah. yeah, Milwaukee. I think we might have played, but back. I couldn't. I couldn't remember them, and I was like, maybe Ian will know. <laughs> and then, I, and then I, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. He wrote this piece that had like all these different parts in different time signatures, but it dealt with a lot of like uh, uh, common denominators, mm-hmm. like mathematical common denominators. Yeah. So every once in a while, like various things would start. So everyone played different time signatures, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of people who were not. Like I don't know how to, I don't know how to read music or anything, but I just like learned my part and I knew the time signature I played and the melody I played. Right. I played like a harmonium. Cool. No, was it melodica? Was it? Um, I would love to hear hear that. Is did that? Yeah, he any, recorded it. Um, okay. or Nuge recorded it. I think for him. Great. But I haven't heard a recording of it yet. Oh. But it was fun. We did a VSW and we had a big clock because you had to like keep track of like there was a lot of other people who had to like keep track of the sure. time. Yeah. There were a lot of people who weren't necessarily musicians playing. Cool. Um, yeah, it was fun. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, sounds really interesting. Ian, well, I mean, everything Ian does. Is yeah, yeah, interesting. yeah. Uh, it was great catching up with oh, you, Joe. It's always been, a pleasure, man. It's been way too long. I think the last time I saw you in person may have been you handed me a Curry Truck CD, and I think you just started playing. And you're like, oh, this is a new thing. I, I, I was so on. I was so proud to have a release on Trouble Man <laughs> because. There, they had. There was um, that compilation Trouble Man mixtape. Oh yeah, that, yeah, um, yeah. That I I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he was like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Mike Mike wants me to put a record out. Let's just, you know, we basically it, improvised, and I think we played like a a Fahey t- We tried to do like a, you know, our poor man's rendition of that, like a Sandy Bull Billy Higgins style thing. And, sure. And uh, uh. Yeah, but that that was that was the the record, and uh, yeah, I, I was I was it was like a real badge of honor, <laughs> you know. 
I want to thank uh, Otto again for participating in that interview. It was great catching up with him, especially in person. I haven't seen him in years and years. <clears throat> I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, via Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. And I'm also up on Mixcloud.com slash CarbonJoeTunis. Uh, just search for My Teeth Need Attention in the uh, podcast uh, clients that you use. Rate and review us and uh, share it if you can. That'd be great. <clears throat> you can also uh, check out the Patreon that I just started. Go to patreon.com slash my teeth need attention. There's a couple uh, levels up there if you feel like supporting the podcast and getting some perks in return. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play a few tracks that feature auto on percussion and other instrumentation. Uh, it's going to be Vetiver with a track called You May Be Blue from the F- To Find Me Gone release. After that, Espers with Flaming Telepaths from the Weed Tree release. And we'll finish things off with Curry Truck Company with a track called Don't the Road Look Rock- Rough and Rocky. And that's from the Ghostman on Second uh, release. <clears throat> and then after that, I'll uh, do a quick mic break and play some other uh, related uh, bands and songs that we talked about in an interview. All right, uh, here is Vetiver with You May Be Blue.
What you're hearing here is Entente Cordiale, the trio that uh, I started with, Otto Hauser and Will Veter years ago. This was our first release. It was called 1904. So we did uh, a couple releases together. And then uh, Otto ended up moving out of town. So uh, our buddy... Chris Reek started filling in in his role and still going, but it was really fun uh, doing a few releases with Otto. We used to jam in our practice space. We talked in the interview about like um, constraints, so-called constraints in improv. And so, yeah, this, this project was always based on uh, trying to stay within all string instruments, mostly all guitar. But we soon uh, <laughs> we soon dove into some percussion as well, just because we'd be in our practice space and we had a couple of drum sets around. The me and I remember one practice. I think it's a recording too. Otto and I both at the same time kind of looked at each other. And we had our guitars droning and we both got on different drum kits and started playing too. But before that, you heard Curry Truck Company with a track called Don't the Road Look Rough and Rocky from the Ghost Man on Second release on Trouble Man Unlimited. Before that, Espers with Flaming Telepaths from the Wee Tree release on Locust Music and Drag City. And before that, Vetiver with You May Be Blue from To Find Me Gone on Fat Cat. So we're going to listen to Entente a little bit more and then uh, get into a couple more tracks, including Can, a live, uh, a live recording of Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think it's Hallelujah, but it's spelled in a way that I'm not familiar. This is my teeth and the attention. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Thanks again to Otto for uh, taking part. Let's get back to the music. Thank you. 
الاجابه النقاط الاماميه الرجاء ربط احزمه المقاعد والامتناع عن التدخين اثناء الاطلاق Thank <laughs> you. 
Welcome back. What you're hearing in the background here is No Neck Blues Band, untitled track from the No Neck Blues Band meets the Clear People with Mystery Gipped, Giped, live at Ken's Electric Lake. It's an interview uh, with Otto. We talked a little bit about that era of. Um, the quote new American folk or weird <laughs> uh, that was all the rage in the press for about I don't know a year maybe and how uh, groups that he was in got kind of swept up into that that naming but anyway No Neck uh, was kind of one of those other groups No Neck and Sunburn and stuff like that so I forgot to play some No Neck before that, you heard Agitation Free with You Play For Us Today from the Malish LP. And before that, Can with Alleluia from the Horror Trip in the Paper House uh, live LP on Blue Sea. Those two things, uh, Otto kind of mentioned Can and Agitation Free. We were talking about Crowd Rock a little bit in the interview. So I forget to play those two. All right, we're going to let this play a little bit more, and then that's it. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast. I'm also up on Mixcloud.com slash CarbonJoeTunis, so you can catch the show up there and subscribe there if you want. Uh, and those are mixed in, just so you know, they're mixed in with my radio show on WAYO here in Rochester, New York called Numbers. So you kind of get both of them. Hopefully that's all right. I have a website with all the links for those things called MyTeethNeedAttention.com. There's also a link to our Patreon up there if you feel like supporting the podcast. And basically that support's going to go to getting some more equipment so I could do some better interviewing. Um, so yeah, if you... Uh, if you become a patreon there's a couple different levels and you're going to get some stuff in return as well as you know access to the show there's going to be some access to some uh special shows i have some stickers and coasters that i'll be sending out uh it's a t-shirt in the works as well and the print zine that i've been promising for a while now been editing that and adding some more stuff so uh, hopefully i'll have that out um early summer that's what i'm shooting for all right, thanks again for listening. This is My Teeth and the Attention. Spread the word, rate and review us, and uh, take care, all right? See you next time. Bye.
Yeah.